Hey everyone, welcome to Emmanuel Fellowship's podcast. This is Pastor Trent, the founding pastor of Emmanuel Fellowship, a church in South Minneapolis that exists to serve our city and to live for God's glory. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. We pray that this message encourages you to follow Jesus and to see his presence and power everywhere in your life. Hey, so for the past four or five months, um, my ankle has been bothering me and been aggravated um, pretty much pretty consistently. Um, and I realized this um, a couple weeks ago and just came to terms with the fact that, hey, this isn't going away. Like, I'm still injured. <laughs> Something is not healing, not getting better. And it was actually a, um, one of the brothers in my, my gospel community men's time um, who was just like, hey, you know, you should probably get that checked out. <laughs> like, if it's not healing, there's something potentially that could be going on in there. And so I did. I was like, okay, I gotta, I gotta do something. And I scheduled an appointment um, with a sports med clinic and went in there and they took an x-ray of my foot to see what was going on. And long story short, nothing was happening. Uh, it still hurt. Um, something is still strained in terms of the tendons and ligaments in there. Um, but what he said was, you probably need a brace and you probably need a bit of therapy and um, some time to like work on this if it's ever going to heal. But what I had to do is realize, okay, I'm still injured. And this pattern that I have of just pushing through the pain <laughs> is not actually going to get the ankle healed. And when I came to terms with that, after the appointment, I was spending some time with the Lord and reflecting on my life, um, which, as we've already talked about in the last few weeks, is one of the things that helps you grow in the faith. When you pause to reflect on life and contemplate what could be happening, I started to go, man, if, if I'm pushing through the pain with an ankle injury, I wonder if there are other areas of my life where I'm pushing through the pain. Maybe spiritually, maybe relationally. And all of a sudden, in a moment, Holy Spirit dropped on me some insights, which I won't share all of them, but were far more important probably than my ankle. Though my ankle is important to God, I believe. Um, but th that moment of going, okay, what's, what am I doing? What's happening even bodily within me? And what could God be trying to communicate to me in light of that is an important one. I, I learned this a few years ago. It has rung true like since I heard the phrase. But the body, the human body, is not a minor, but a major prophet, right? There's something that God is often saying to you through your body. Maybe it's in your gut in the way that you feel and experience things. Maybe it's in the fatigue that you have in your life right now. Maybe it's in an ankle injury. And now I'm not saying that like every time you have a little bit of indigestion, the Lord's speaking or something, right? Like that might not be like, it might not be always that the Lord's saying, don't get takeout there, all right? But, but your body is one of the things that God has given you. And as we read earlier, you belong body and soul to the Lord Jesus such that he cares about not just a part of you, the spiritual side of you, but all of you. And sometimes the Lord is trying to get your attention. And maybe like me, you'll realize by an ankle or something else that you're pushing through the pain and you need to realize and stop, get some healing, get some attention to an area that otherwise you might not have seen. So listen, God is, as we've said in the last few weeks, at work in all of your life. And the point that I want to make today is that God is actually at work in all of you. 
So one of the components of Christian maturity, as we've been framing out over the last few weeks, is that God is present in all of life and has things for you to see, has reality for you to embrace, has a presence that he wants you to, to, to learn, to commune and connect with, but also that God is at work changing all of me. My heart, my soul, my body, my strength, my actions, my habits, all of my life, the Lord is concerned and cares for. And the reason is because Jesus offers in the gospel an all of me kind of mercy. He's not just concerned with one piece of you. His mercy is more and it stretches far beyond just your church attendance. It stretches far beyond just your spiritual practices. It wants to change all of you. In Jesus' own language, which he pulls from the Old Testament, heart, soul, mind, and strength, so that you might learn to love well, just like the Lord himself. So this is our third week. And in three weeks, I've tried to give a simple framework for us as a church going forward of what is our horizon? Like, what are we driving towards? What are we aiming at? And if you want three sort of phrases to help you capture what does maturity in the gospel look like, here they are. Like, I would love for us to be able to remember these, to be able to talk about these. They're simple enough that I think we can. So let's practice, all right? Um, Practice is going to help us. So here, Christian maturity looks like this. It looks like all of God. You say all God? And then all of life and all of me. Okay, all of God. That was our first week where we said, hey, the gospel reveals all of the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It offers us a relationship with God. And part of growing up in the faith is I learn how to relate to my Father in heaven. And I know who my Lord and Savior is. And I also know the work of the Holy Spirit within me and in others. All of God. And then all of life, that part of growing in maturity is beginning to see differently. That that not only does the gospel reveal all of God, but, but somehow this good news begins to reframe like a set of glasses. How I see life, such that I can see God's presence in pain or in bliss. I can see God's presence at work or at home. I can see God's presence in every area of my life. And then today, all of me, all right? If we want to grow to maturity, we have to embrace an all of me kind of spirituality, that God is concerned with the whole you, all of life, all of God, all of me, okay? So for my note takers, here is our our framework today, okay? I'd like to talk about maturity for a little bit more, and then we're going to talk about all of me, some of me, and transforming me, okay? All of me, some of me, and transforming me. So um, my daughter right now is learning in school parts of speech. Um, So the other day I was chatting with her at dinner and she's going, okay, yeah, so I learned about linking verbs, right, today. And so she's having to read sentences and go, this is a noun, this is an adjective, this is an adverb, this is a direct object, an indirect object. It's super geeky and it's kind of fun. Um, But what I'd like to do is spend a few minutes talking about the modifier of maturity in our horizon. Like if our goal is to get to maturity, we've got to go, what kind of maturity are we after? And the word's clear. It's gospel maturity. And so if we're going to get to a gospel maturity, which I believe can help you get to a 
kind of all of life maturity, a basic kind of maturity that stands for everything. But, but the gospel has to modify the kind of maturity that we're after. And to do that, what I want to do is back up in the passage that we've read just for a minute and then work our way into verses 1 through 3. So here is verse 30, 32. It says, For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who's given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. You see, what what makes the gospel so good is that it's something we don't deserve. What Paul is saying here is that the gospel is this announcement. It's this news report of something that has happened in time and space. And it's, it's produced a kind of grace for the undeserving. That's what makes it good news is that neither you nor I deserve any kind of mercy. In fact, the definition of mercy is something that we don't really deserve. But, but God, because he knows that all of us have wandered away, because he knows that all of us have turned his, our back on him, because he knows that all of us have strayed from his ways, that all of us have in some ways been disobedient. God has, because all are consigned, all have done that. He's also offered a broad invitation to mercy to all. And it's a kind of mercy that's astonishing because it's unexpected. It's undeserved. And so what you have here is this this culmination of 11 chapters worth of argument where Paul is talking about what does it mean for someone to, to go from being far away from God to being brought close, someone from being really exiled away to being brought near and belonging, someone being not right, being made righteous justified. And what he's getting at here is that it's praiseworthy, that this kind of mercy we don't deserve is glorious and it's good. And that salvation is something that comes from him and through him and works to his glory in all things. So there's nothing that reveals so plainly, in my opinion, that um, we need an all-of-life spirituality, an all-of-me spirituality, as the blueprint that Jesus points to in the Gospels. So if you flip back over to the beginning of your Bible, you see this really often quoted passage. Jesus, in all three of the Gospels, speaks this refrain. It comes from Deuteronomy, which is the second giving of God's law. So it's the second time that Moses has been giving the commandments that God wants his people to adhere to. And here's what it says. It says in chapter 6 of verse 4 in Deuteronomy, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command to you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them on, as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This, Jesus says, is the summary of everything God desires from you. This is it. 
that God is asking you to love him fully with all of you and that he's asking for you to begin to work out that love, not just in one setting, but in all settings. That part of what it means to have a relationship with the living God is to, to not just view that as a portion of your week on Sundays, but, but when you sit, when you lie down and when you rise every day, right? When you're sitting down to eat and when you're walking every day, there is a whole sense of all of me. And then there is a all of life thing that's rooted here back in the beginning of the scriptures. And if you think about both those things, it's pretty clear that we have actually all fallen short because most of our life, like we said last week, we only live some of our life with an awareness of God's presence. And I would like to say today, we only offer some of ourselves, some of me, often to the Lord and to others. But if you think about it from Deuteronomy's standpoint and then from the, the, the letter to the Romans, falling short in that area actually has significance. Failing in that area has a consequence to it. At the end of the book of Deuteronomy, when Moses is sort of departing and leaving God's people as they're going into the promised land, here's what it says. He recaps this very basic teaching. It says, hey, you are to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul that you may live. And he goes on, this isn't too hard for you. This isn't even too complicated for you. This is, this is near. I think you can grab hold of this. And then he goes, I set before you today life and good, death and evil. Choose life. But here's the reality, church, that like we have consistently, even daily, not abided by the most basic commandment to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. And so Paul's answer to that, astonishingly, is God's mercy. A kind of mercy that doesn't just sort of deal with one area of life, but a kind of mercy that deals with all of life. A kind of mercy that doesn't just deal with one part of me, but a kind of mercy that deals with all of me. Because that's what God was after in the beginning. So listen. The behavior command in Deuteronomy was for Israel as a nation, right? It was for them as a people. And history shows that, if, and if you just read through the rest of the Old Testament, that God's people consistently departed from his ways, right? They, this was supposed to be the ways of their homeland, but instead they, they left that pattern of behavior, that way of life so consistently that the only fitting response was for God to actually kick them out of the land, that he had given them because they didn't belong in it anymore. And, and in that sense, they couldn't even get back into God's country if they had tried. That they were even in those days needing God's mercy to even be welcomed back into the community, into the country. And so here's what God is doing by his mercy. If I can give you a picture of it. What he's doing is he's securing the transfer of your citizenship. The mercy of God, which is far more than about a legal standing or a passport or, or a way of getting around, but, but it has to do with a way of life. What the mercy of God is doing is it's, it's, it's transforming how you live so that you might live like you belong. It's after a way of being that's actually life. That's what maturity is about. 
Now, maturity might seem dry to you, but like maturity is a way of living that's actually satisfying. It's a way of life that's actually life. It's a way of design that God intended. Like maturity is after us becoming the kind of people that God has made us to be and that he's redeemed us to be. Gospel maturity, in a word, means that you begin living far more like a Christian local than a Christian tourist. Now, some of us have taken foreign language in high school, and so there's a sense in which, like, many Christians in our time operate like some of us might in a foreign setting with our language um, requirement in high school. We know how to like say hello or we know how to get to the bathroom or repeat a few phrases. But when it comes to actually feeling like we belong in that place, we're very far from that. But God's design is not that we would function like a tourist, but that we would actually become a local in the kingdom. Like, he, his design for us is that we would gain a kind of fluency in the gospel that's befitting of maturity because we're designed to belong not just in speech, but in habits, in life. Our very way of being in the world is supposed to fit with his kingdom. If you merely approach, I need to know a few phrases, you miss entirely the point that God has transferred your citizenship back into his kingdom by his mercies so that you might actually belong there, not feel like you're a foreigner there, that you might actually live and abide there rather than feel like you don't have a place there. The mercy of God is meant to transform your life completely so that you're reformed by the gospel and on your way to maturity. Maturity is about life, full life, Okay, so let's get back to Romans. Let me see how this connects. Here's verse one. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. So therefore, because of all of this, because of all of this mercy that can change all of me, I appeal to you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Okay, so there's one component of your being, your body. Somehow, what it means to have the mercy of God go to work on you is that the way you operate and act in your body changes. That what you do in your body and how you offer it to the Lord actually matters to your spiritual life. That you belong body and soul to the Lord Jesus Christ. So what does it mean? That our bodies are a living sacrifice. It doesn't mean that you got to go Kill your body. <laughs> it means that your body and all of its health, life, and vitality, whatever resources you have in your body is meant to be offered to the Lord in the way that sacrifices were offered in the Old Testament. That, that there's supposed to be a generous giving, a, a, a devotion, a dedication of your body to the Lord. That's important because spirituality deals with the body. That's what Paul's saying here. Present your body as a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual worship. This is one of the ones that it's fascinating to see the different translations, okay? So in, in, in the Greek, it says, this is your logikos worship, which could mean this is your logic, your rational worship. It could mean that this is your spiritual worship. It could mean that this is sort of your inner mind and heart worship. And I like the way that one of the trans, I think this, is new, this new international version said, this is your true worship. All of those are helpful because it helps, because it gives you the picture of, okay, true worship 
if, if this word is hard to pin down in English, true worship involves the inner me in such a way that my mind and my heart are united in giving myself to the Lord, right? This is an all-of-me kind of worship. True worship is an all-of-me kind of worship. And then he goes on further to go, look it. Do not be conformed to this world. We'll get there in a minute. But be transformed by the renewal of what? Your mind. So we've got body. We've got inner heart, mind, connection, true worship. And then we've got thoughts, noose. Like you've got whole picture transformation going on here as the, the movement of the mercy of God upon a person. That it's not just, hey, here's one piece of you, but this is all of you required and involved in growing towards a well-formed maturity, as one of the translations put it. So I love this. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Two different words. So in English, we have formed at the same root in each of these, but in, in the original language, they're different. So to be conformed is coming to, from the word that, that looks most like schematic, right? So it means the structure, the schema. So when you're conformed to the world, you're literally fitting the mold. There is a structure that you're sort of settling into that's been preset for you. Be transformed, on the other hand, is the word metamorphosis, right? This is, this is butterfly language, right? To be transformed is like, I become goo in some sort of chrysalis, and then out becomes something with wings that looks completely different than a slug, right? That's the kind of transformation the Lord desires for us. Not sort of we fit into the pre-fit mold, but that we become our true selves, something far more beautiful than we were when we were far from him, when we were not renewed in our mind. We were not offering our bodies. We were not giving our worship to the Lord. And what's the point? That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, and perfect. Here's what I think. Here we have a whole other piece of being, hinted, right? So we are to discern, we're to be able to test what is God's will, which is the function of, in the biblical literature, the heart, the core of a person. So, so what it's saying is, hey, if you are renewed in your thinking, if you are offering your life in worship to the Lord, what will begin to happen is that you'll actually be able to see and to do what God wants you to do. That's what the message was saying, right? Like you, the best thing for you is to receive what God has done for you, right? And then to begin to live in the way that God desires for you to live. So what's going on here is that you begin to see the very will, the very heart of God. And the, the word here is important because testing is the parallel phrase. It's, it's what's used when something is purified, Right, so it's talking about hey, the, the other the other points in the New Testament that gets at this is that we are to by the tested genuineness of our faith as we go through trial, as we encounter suffering, and our faith is rocked, challenged, tested. Some of you have been there this year, I know. Right, some of you are are still there where your faith and what you think, what you believe about God, you go, I don't know if I still can believe that. The testing in that setting refines, purifies, 
in a way that brings forth gold. There's a process for metals and for gold. And I think, I think what Paul is getting at here is that as you begin to be transformed and to learn the very heart of God, the gold that's there becomes the gold that's in here. The gold that is in the heart of the Father becomes the gold that's in the heart of his sons and daughters. That the aim that God has after for us, even in the midst of trial and testing, is that we become more like him. And we do that, of course, by being transformed by the renewal of our mind and by offering our bodies and by giving our hearts in worship to the Lord. It's an all of me kind of experience. So how can we grow to gospel maturity? Well, only if we embrace an all of me spirituality. All right, but what's the problem? We have a some of me spirituality. Right? And you can see this, and it can be comical in certain settings or different groups, right? But if you just sort of, in maybe a crude way, take that statement of Jesus that we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and then you just go, okay, what happens if we begin to take one of those and say, this is maturity? And then we give the other second fiddle. What happens if we say, hey, What it means to be mature is to have a mind that's really elevated. But the rest are on B team. Well, here's what happens. You become thinkers, brainiacs, theology nerds. And in a way, you begin to operate as if what I think and what I learn, what I know is the measure of maturity. Maybe there are people that you know like this. And what they think becomes not just their maturity, but sometimes can become their own righteousness. You see, every time you split the personhood that God has designed us to have, the being God has designed to have, you, you set yourself up, one, for a sort of unraveled life, but also for a kind of self-righteousness that only ends up elevating you among the others. What about the doers, the activators, the action takers, where the measure of maturity is offered or evaluated by how much you sacrifice, how bold and courageous you act in what you do. Strands of Christianity, of course, that highly prize the strength being given to the Lord. What about the feelers? Those who sense everything, but then are tossed to and fro by the power of their emotions. Well, for them, maturity is often measured by intensity. If I can see and experience God, and he meets me in a moment, my moments with the Lord elevate me. But wasn't the Apostle Paul that said, yes, I have been to the heavens, but I won't stand on those things as my measure of maturity. I won't stand on those things as my own righteousness. Or what about what I'll call the reflectors, the soulful people, right? They're the soul train that, that gets real soulish, but then often gets very sluggish. They've pondered their life again and again to deeper and deeper waters such that they've refrained from actually moving from there, <laughs> that they've, they've plunged the depths, but they can't come out into life again. They've made the measure of maturity, the depth of their own insight, often 
insight into themselves. You see, when we take one piece of who God has made us to be and elevate it as the measure of maturity, everything tends to go sideways because the Lord wants us to be whole. He has an all of me kind of mercy because Jesus himself was that whole person. And we could look to him and we should look to him today because he went to the darkest places of human existence, the greatest suffering. It doesn't mean that he suffered in the same way that you have or you might, but he did go to a dark Gethsemane. And in that place, the information in the mind of this is the plan of the Father to go to the cross. This is the way it has to work. This is the process that redemption must take. Began to sift down from his mind into his gut. And he began to feel and be wrenched by the emotions of it. The pain of it. The relational fracture of it. And he felt it. But it didn't go from just feeling and stop. It moved over into his very core, into the soul where he said, yes, but Father, I am your son. And if this is what you ask of me, this is what I will offer to you as whole worship, all of me. And then he didn't just stop there in the garden and say, well, maybe it'll happen and maybe it won't. I'll just sort of let it go and I'll keep reflecting on the depths of redemption here in the darkness. No, and it wasn't even that he was taken, right? The gospels show very clearly that he took the initiative after having gone down deep into the depths of, this is who I am as the Messiah. This is who I am as the son of the father. He rose up with a battle, with a battle guard coming at him with swords and said, who are you? They said, who are you? He said, I am he. And they all fell down to the ground. Do you want me? Well, you can't take me, but I'll give myself and worship. I'll move to action with a resolve and with a courage that takes me all the way to the cross as a whole being. Because I know that, that these people that have come out with me to, with clubs and these people, I know you in front of me, have begun to live a life where our very being is fragmented such that we have become ripped apart in heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the only way for us to be put back together would be for the Lord to go to the cross whole and then to rise in victory complete. He said, Father, here's all of me. And he says to you, church, here's all of me. My mercy is full so that your maturity could be full. I have an all of me kind of mercy. And I've gone to the cross and into the tomb and up to the sky to prove it so that your transformation could continue, that you might have a heart of gold like mine. It's an all of me kind of mercy church. And so here's four things that I want you to be aware of as we go forward when it comes to living in all of me kind of spirituality. Here they are. The first is soulful friendships. I don't think that you can pursue any kind of holistic change of yourself unless somebody knows you well enough to call your bluffs. You need the kind of friends who are able to say, hey, listen, you've been, you've been kind of dismissive lately. Or hey, you know, we keep asking you about this at Gospel Community, but every time you kind of react to it and hide from it. 
They know you well enough to actually get into your business and say the Lord is at work in there and to walk with you forward. Not to drop correction and then leave you behind, but to challenge and then say, hey, let's walk together. The kind of soulful friendships where they get you, they know you. Because the quality of life is determined by the quality of the relationships. We believe that. It's one of, one of the reasons why we value relationships so much is because the relationships you have elevate the quality of your life to another level and to another level. Number two, self-awareness. You've got to know yourself before you can give yourself. So this isn't just about terminating on you, right? But in order for you to know yourself, or in order for you to give yourself truly, you've got to know yourself truly. And so part of God working transformation in all of you is you beginning to understand, this is how I am. One of the most helpful questions you can ask sometimes to others is, hey, how are you experiencing me? Like, do you experience me as hurried? Do you experience me as peaceful? Do you experience me as distracted? Do you experience me as prayerful? Like, how, how do you experience me? And sometimes the insight of others into how we are opens our eyes to see us as we really are, self-awareness. And Jesus here is our guide, too, because his self-awareness didn't terminate on himself, but it helped him grab hold, even in the hardest moments of his life, who he was and what he had to give. And then relational maturity. Relational maturity, number three. What we're saying is, Part of maturity in God changing all of you is a kind of being where you learn to love well, right? Where the way that you're relating to others is marked by a love that's mature. Because as Jesus said, the first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. But what's the second? To love your, to love your neighbor, all right? So to love well is actually a better measure of maturity than to know all things or to feel great things or to do great things. And then last, gospel identity. What we're saying is part of maturity means you've learned how to be before you do. That you're not doing in order to get something, right? You're doing in order to give and offer something. That there's a unity of who you are, heart, soul, mind, and strength that you're able to then give to others. Let me close with this. Um, I think when you reflect on these categories, it can be easy to go, okay, all of God, I feel like I'm still learning to relate to God. All of me, there's, yeah, I don't, sometimes I don't even know what's going on in me, but to think all of me has to somehow be offered to the Lord feels daunting. All of life, like, this is so comprehensive. This is, this is so whole, but like, I'm not there. And sometimes the pressure of all of those things and maybe the standard of all those things can make us go, man, I'm, I'm feeling like I'm much more in the loss column than I am in the win column, right? Sorry, Vikings. Um, I'm much more in sort of the bad column than I am in the good column. And, but that's not, that's not the goal. The goal is not for you to sit in a column somewhere or, or, or on the, the loss side of, the, of it, you know? Like the goal is for you to go, oh man, you're right. There's some immature ways that I have that the Lord by his grace and through like the fellowship with others is going to continue to help me walk towards maturity all of my life long. Not that I'll arrive there, but I know, hey, the Lord's at work. And sometimes I take a steps forward and sometimes I'm taking steps back. But that the Lord wants me to be whole, 
because he loves me, is good. Perhaps the reaction we could have is, man, I'm just, I'm just too broken. I'm too sinful. And for that, I would say, remember the story of our boy Peter, right? His first interaction with Jesus, this is what he felt. They, they had taken their fish nets and set them out, and they hadn't caught anything. And then Jesus comes on board and says, hey, send them out the other side. And uh, he's, Peter and the rest of the fishermen sent them out. And they carry in this massive load of fish, more than they can count. And Peter's response is, Lord, Lord, depart from me. Like, I, I'm a sinner. I'm not, I'm not worthy. You should not be with me. And, and Jesus says to him, no, no, no. Come follow me. I want you to hear that. Like when your instinct is, man, I'm broken. Man, I'm sinful. Man, this isn't working. Man, this is a struggle for me. Would you believe that Jesus is not after your departure, but he's after your development, right? He's not after, hey, get from me, Peter. But he says, come with me, Peter. I'm at work in your life. And yes, there are some some areas that we're gonna work on, right? But I'm not after you leaving. I'm after you coming so that you might learn to follow me and that you might learn to love like me. Jesus' heart of mercy is like that. He says, come along. I'll teach you my ways and I will help you be free. Because my desire in our own language, church, Jesus would say is that you would be formed deeply so that you can, be, that you can live fully. That's what he wants for you and he wants for me. So let's pray towards that end and let's respond to the Lord. Father, thank you for, I think, a really fun passage. I, I love these verses. They have, um, they have been imprinted into my mind years ago, and they just, they just produce far more riches every time I come back and drink. And so thank you for a fresh taking in of your word. And I pray that you would, for us, help us realize that you don't want us to leave because of our need for mercy. In fact, we all need mercy. But you want us to come. You want us to follow. You're not after our departure, but you're after our development into your own likeness and glory so that our hearts might evermore grow into the gold that is your heart. So transform us, heart, soul, mind, and strength, so that we might learn to love well, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.